Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Hello everybody and uh, welcome to our online service through Arena Church. This is going out across all of our campuses and through our online outlets on this particular day. And uh, wherever you're joining us from, we pray that you'll be blessed and ministered to by the Word of God as we've already engaged in the worship of the Lord through the great songs. Our theme for January is for this cause, and we're particularly looking at the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah galvanized people for a great cause to the glory of God. And last week, Christian opened up for us and spoke to us about things that can get in the way of the course. And of course, we want to deal with them well and so be overcomers. Today is particularly encouraging us in our Arena Church season of prayer and fasting. January in Arena is, over the last number of years, all about prayer and where appropriate for people fasting. And I'll come to that a little later. Please be encouraged that we don't stand on our own with this. But across the earth, in these opening weeks of 2021, we are joining with the global church around the world. Make no mistake, there are tens, indeed hundreds of thousands of people that are engaging in a similar discipline. And it's inspiring to think there's so many voices crying out from earth that heaven would come and touch us. So be encouraged. And what I want you to notice this morning is that Nehemiah was a praying man. He prayed and he fasted. And our verse, which we're going to come to in a few moments, and then I'll run some thoughts from it, is Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. But before I get there, let me just give you a little brief reminder of one or two elements of Nehemiah's life. This book has often been used by leadership teachers to expound great principles on the gift of leadership. It's not our brief today, but let me just give you a few thoughts on how Nehemiah led the people for the cause of rebuilding the walls of the great city of God. He brought vision and direction and cohesion and inspiration and delegation. Leadership is not doing everything, but ensuring that everything gets done and that always needs more than one person. He brought organisation and he brought motivation. As the vision became reality, Nehemiah in his leadership gift moved people from here to there. And as he peeped over his shoulder, he found that some people were prepared to follow. That's the acid test for leadership. And as we get into chapter 2, he realised that he wasn't on his own because the people cried out, let us, plural, start rebuilding the walls. 
One preacher says that people never rise to an expectation that leaders do not set. And as that is set as an example, it causes people to rise and go beyond what they ever thought was possible in their lives and in their togetherness for a cause. But what was the starting point for all of this? Well, as we heard a little from last week's message, Nehemiah was in exile in a foreign land. God had used the armies of the north to rain down judgments on the people of God because of their disobedience and dishonouring of him. If you read the New Testament, you will find that this took place not on a whim and certainly not quickly. But after many patient pleas from the Lord, using people like the great prophet Jeremiah. And if you read Jeremiah, you'll see it's a long, long book with many chapters. And this man gave his life to call people back to their God in covenant relationship. Sadly, they refused. They turned a deaf ear to the pleas of the Almighty. And so, in judgment, the invading forces came and a 70-year exile began for God's people. And you read a little bit in the Psalms of how the people thought of when they used to live in Zion. And there was a sense of uh, longing that they could return back to where they used to be. And then news comes from his brother Hanani. And we read about it in Nehemiah chapter 1. And whilst a remnant had already returned to begin to bring attention to building a new temple the walls of the city of God, Jerusalem, were still broken down. You may say, broken walls, Phil. So what? But for those of you that engaged in the Bible school, Arena Bible School in the autumn, when we did a series on the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, you will know that in the Old Testament order, tangible things, things that could be seen, things that could be touched, things that could be noticed, had a deeper spiritual meaning and often conveyed a deeper spiritual issue. And so the mess, the rubble, the disrepair, not only spoke of a city that was still defenceless, weak and enfeebled. But more than that, the broken walls were a constant reminder of past dishonour and disobedience of the Almighty. And the broken walls spoke of the stigma of displeasure still felt all those years later. A reminder that the people had sadly broken covenant with their God. Prophetically and spiritually, 
the application of the broken walls still has a powerful input into modern day living. The book of wisdom in the Old Testament says that righteousness exalts a nation. And when people turn from God, when people neglect his ways, there's a consequence to it. And you don't have to look far in our own society of the United Kingdom and also the cultures and creeds of the many nations across the world to note that all around us there are broken walls that are reflected in broken lives. The broken wall of authority, the broken wall of morality, the broken wall of family, the broken wall of spirituality. And so we could go on. And again, it's not our task this morning to particularly approach those. But I want you to see that this thought of brokenness that led this man to a place of prayer still powerfully speaks into our life today. The imagery of the broken walls would so resonate with someone like Nehemiah. And in our lives, we need to be challenged afresh that as we see brokenness all around us, God wants to bring a response. Now that brotherly word from his returning sibling impacted and stirred Nehemiah in such a significant way. I'll come to it a little later, but he was a man that had risen in the favour of God to a place of security and success, despite living in a foreign land. But something began to stir in his inner life. In the history of time, there have been periods of great brokenness, darkness, inertia and spiritual failure. But if you read history carefully, you'll find that time and time again, God steps in. He not only spoke to Nehemiah, but he has been speaking to men and women, young people and boys and girls in the history of time to stir something in them that brings a response to the challenges before them. And so we come to our particular verse for this message, Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4. And Nehemiah says, when I heard these things, the things that I've just briefly tried to articulate, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the gods of heaven. The challenge to see the walls rebuilt and the city repaired and restored gripped the heart of Nehemiah. Even though at this point he was hundreds of miles away from the location. 
And it expressed itself through him. That is what a godly burden does. We're not talking about the burden of guilt or the burden of sin. God wants us to be released from that. But a holy burden that impacts our lives. And when it comes, it inevitably expresses through our lives. And I want to give you three points regarding that holy expression. Firstly, an expression of concern. Let's go back to our verse because there was a fourfold response from Nehemiah to the word he received and the burden that began to pulsate in his inner being. Number one, he wept. He was completely emotionally overwhelmed with the challenge. I'm not talking here about brokenness in a negative way, but positively. Of course, people can be broken by crisis, by trauma, by the unexpected, by bereavement and loss. We understand that and we understand that there's a time to grieve. But this is not the brokenness I'm speaking of here. Here I'm speaking of a godly, emotional, inner response to God that actually expresses itself through tears and weeping before the Lord. God says in his word in Psalm 51 that that sort of broken heart he will not despise. In the Psalms he says those that sow in tears will reap with joy. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. And in chapter 9 and verse 1 of the book, he says, My eyes are full of tears. Joel called the people to weep between God and the people. Does it mean that we have to burst into tears every time we pray? Clearly not. But can I ask the question, when was the last time that you wept? When you prayed? As the brokenness of situations confronted you and came upon you. Secondly, he mourned. We're not talking here about morbidity or a false expression of mourning. Notice that on several occasions in the Gospels, when Jesus went to a place in faith to bring deliverance, And the overcoming rule of the kingdom, he told the mourners, the professional mourners, they were literally paid to come and mourn, to clear off. Because they were a lid to faith. We're not speaking about that. But in Matthew chapter 5, in what we know as the list of the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's a contradiction. It's a paradox. It's a kingdom value that when we enter in to the heart of God and see at times how he grieves over sin, we mourn with him. And so we are comforted. And then he fasted. The purest 
definition of fasting is this. It is the voluntary abstinence from food for the purpose of concentrated prayer. Now, we understand that some people engaging in a fast, they may do it through a media fast, they may do it through another expression of denial, but that is the most purest view of fasting. In other words, we uh, deny ourselves uh, uh, an ordinary meal time to bring a priority to prayer. We've not sought to shy away from this challenging arena. We've also tried to approach it with balance and sensitivity. We understand health issues. Uh, we understand people's metabolisms, etc., etc. And we don't want anybody to engage in something that would compromise their well-being. That said, this is one of the most neglected disciplines in the Christian church. And Jesus, when he was teaching on this in the Gospels, didn't say if you fast, but when you fast. If you need help, if you need some counsel, if you need some uh, instruction, please contact one of your campus pastors or your small group leader or somebody that's further along the journey of spiritual maturity and they'll be able to help you. We've got information, we've got literature that we can give to you. Don't just uh, <clears throat> uh, be realistic in your approach. If you've never fasted before, I, I suggest that probably it wouldn't be wise to sign up for going 21 days without anything to eat. Have a realism. But don't bulk the challenge. Can I encourage you, at least on one day, during this season of fasting and prayer, at least one meal you seek to engage at that time with praying to your Lord. He wept, he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed. Prayer is communication with God. We make it so complex at times, and yet it's so simple. We understand there's levels of prayer, there's depths of prayer, there's heights of prayer, there's journeys of prayer. But you know, sometimes when I'm listening to great leaders of God praying, I sometimes think, you know, they're going to come out with some words and some way of doing it that I've never seen before. And all that they do is they just have a conversation with the Lord and it's just as natural as anything. One great prayer prophet says God is not looking for better methods but he is looking for men and women who will pray and there will be a continual all year round encouragement in arena through teaching and preaching and small groups for us to pray the why of prayer and also the what of prayer what do I pray for and again if you need help with those things we can give you some literature that will really give direction to your life praying you pray you bring your heart unto the Lord so the expression of concern then secondly briefly the expression of confession and this is where we just briefly engage with the prayer that runs from verses 5 to 11 of Nehemiah 1 notice he says I prayed before the God of heaven 
This prayer wasn't a one-off. Commentators have observed that there are nine prayers of Nehemiah in the book. It wasn't a a spike. It wasn't uh, something he just did as, uh, as an occasional thing. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Nine prayers. I don't have time to list them, but numbers of them are one sentence. They're what we call arrow prayers. Just calling out to God. It may be that you've gone for a, a new job during this season and you're having to do the interview on Zoom. Well, it's bad enough doing it live. But I mean, as you're going towards the, the meeting, as the clock ticks towards that 9.30 hour, a prayer like Nehemiah, Lord, please help me and give me favour in this interview. It may be that you've got to go to a, a medical appointment that's causing you some concern as you're in the car park waiting to hit that appointment time. God, just go with us. The attitude of prayer. If you read it, this is what Nehemiah did. Just one sentence prayers on a number of occasions because he didn't just make uh, prayer something that he did occasionally. It was his life. It just emanated from his life. Now, we need to find times for the small room, for the place on our own. But as someone said, one great preacher says, I never pray for more than 30 minutes and I never go 30 minutes without praying. That's a prayer life. And there were three things that came out of the prayer of Nehemiah 1. And they're principles that we can hold in our heart. One, a confession of the wrongs of the people. Nehemiah didn't dress it up. He says, God, we've sinned and we've broken covenant before you and we're sorry. And an element of prayer is confession. I'm not talking about digging over the same things all the time. I'm not talking about using it in a religious way so that we confess and then just go back to doing whatever we want to do. But there's times in our lives, the word of God says that if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice that in Jesus' prayer that he taught to us, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that have sinned against us. A confession of wrong. Number two, he confessed the promises of God. If, <clears throat> he said, if you return to me, I will. And so he begins to confess that God has said that if the people would restore relationship, God would move again in a mighty, mighty way. And the promises of God go throughout the scriptures. There's a rich seam of hundreds and hundreds of the promises of God. God says, if you will, I will. And thirdly, he confessed the help of God for the future. Lord, give me success by granting me favour. It's all in those verses. And I encourage you, even today, to read Nehemiah 1 through. It'll just take you three or four minutes and you'll see the power of these prayer principles. 
Why don't we freshly believe in this new year, both collectively as church and individually in our own unique walk, that God would give us favour and that we'd know great success. Sometimes Christians have said, well, I just think that prayer is the least I can do. Someone says, prayer is not the least that you can do. It's the most. And thirdly and briefly, the expression of cost. The final sentence of Nehemiah 1, I was cupbearer to the king. A preacher says, mark the man who acts with honour when no one is looking. Clearly, despite being in exile, despite the fact that the land that he was in and the language that was used wouldn't even be his first language, the Lord had favoured Nehemiah. How could an outsider get such a prestigious job as being the king's cupbearer, which in ancient times meant that he would have to ensure that there was nothing poisonous coming in. He was a god around the well-being of the king. He was a highly trusted position. Somebody there that would have been corrupt could have easily caused great pain to the leader of the nation. And this wasn't a position that would have been given quickly. But people had noticed this man's character, his integrity, his loyalty, his attitudes. And it emerged that he had a great position given to him. The king's cupbearer, if I can use modern day language, it was well salaried. He had all the add-on benefits and package that would come with such a role but God had spoken Nehemiah had prayed and something had shifted and as we move into chapter 2 which for time's sake we don't have to read we find that he asked for an audience with the king he explained his burden which the king had already noticed by his demeanour he was worried how the king would respond, but he asked for favour and God gave it to him. And the king said that he would promise practical help for the journey and resource to help with the rebuilding project of the walls of the city. And Nehemiah set his course of return and went back to the ruinous mess of Jerusalem. Let me just say, for clarity, that when we talk about cost, we are not talking about people paying for their forgiveness, for their salvation, and for their right standing with God. That is the gospel. And the gospel tells us that that cost has been paid by our Lord Jesus Christ when he came and lived a perfect life, and in his 33rd year died on a cross, standing between God and people, and rose the third day, that 
price has been paid. And at the end of this message today, if you have never stepped in to the reality by faith of the cost of your salvation being paid, today is the day. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking to people on a journey of faith, knowing that they have a right standing with God, but the cost is the wooings of the Holy Spirit to your heart that draws a response to what the Holy Spirit is saying. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus uses some of the most powerful and challenging language of his earthly ministry to speak about the costly followership of Jesus. And if you read in verses 25 to 35 particularly, you will see this. I'm just going to give a couple of quotes from the message. Paraphrase Bible. Jesus says, anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me can't be my disciple. And then he went on to say, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether it's plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. I believe with a great sense of conviction in my heart that God is speaking to people in this opening season of the year right across Arena Church. All I can do is deliver a message, but the Holy Spirit does something far deeper as he draws us in to the greater course and takes us on a journey of not being afraid to count the cost. As I close, we notice that Nehemiah was a great leader. He drew people into the course of the project. And other people are going to minister in the days to come. But what we do know is that, of course, the walls will, were rebuilt. But he was also, and this was a foundational base for his life, a man of prayer, a man that was emotionally moved by the brokenness around him that mourned in the principle of the Beatitudes, that denied himself through fasting, and that prayed to his God, and God heard. Hudson Taylor, a missionary hero of mine, from my wife's hometown of Barnsley in South Yorkshire, what a pioneer for the China Inland Mission. What an apostolic gift. What a price he paid. Hudson Taylor says there are three things or stages to every great work of God. One, it's impossible. Two, it's difficult. Three, it's done. And Nehemiah rose to the impossible and difficult challenge of rebuilding the walls, built on a foundation of an intimate prayer communication with God. As we look around us, as we see the rubble and mess of people's lives and society in which we live, may we capture a Nehemiah spirit 
may we engage more deeply than ever in whatever stage of our Christian journey we're in, in fasting and in praying. And as God responds, that we too, not in a literal sense, but in a spiritual sense, will see walls being rebuilt all around us as God moves. May we be touched by God. May that express itself through our lives as we reach out to him in concern, in confession, and whatever the cost. Let's pray. And so I'm going to pray this morning and as I made very clear in the message, the gift of salvation is amazingly and wonderfully free. If it sounds too good to be true, it's because the gospel is too good to be true. It comes as a revelation to our lives. We can't work ourselves to it. We can't be religious enough for it, good enough for it. But grace has come to pay the price. And this morning, I'm going to pray in a moment, if you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you've tried. You've screwed yourself up in a ball. You've tried to be religious, but you realise it's not going to work. You say, Lord Jesus, today I know that you paid the price for me. And you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. You want to confess that you've done wrong and you want to go on a journey of following the Lord for the course, then there's a button to respond to. I'm going to pray. You can connect. People will uh, connect with you. We'll help you with some literature in the first flush of your expression of faith and just draw you into the community of believers. And I'm going to pray that God will minister in Jesus' name. Father, we pray Whoever has heard this message this day through Arena Church, we pray right now as people are responding to you that your spirit will come to them, cleanse them, change them, help them to know that the cost has been paid, that they are born again of your spirit and take them on an amazing journey of following you for the course of serving you. And I'd just like to pray also for every believer that has heard the message this morning. Don't push back on what God is saying to you at this time. May we draw on the principles that we've sought to expound today. May we have a Nehemiah spirit and may God use us. Father, we pray across Arena Church, the amazing community of believers that have engaged with you again even in this challenging trying season that we're all navigating we rise again to the cause and we pray that each of us will hear our own unique call to it and respond obediently and submissively to you and bless us this day this week this year in all that you've called us to be, for Jesus' sake.